0: Well, Proverbs chapter number 30, that's where we are again, Proverbs chapter number 30, and we pick up in verse number 18. We're just going to look at three verses tonight, and uh, naturally we could go on, but uh, we want to just look at this section. If you'll remember, I said uh, beginning in verse 11 through the remainder of this chapter, there are six groups of four things. For whatever reason that God had in mind, He so designed it that way. And so six times in succession, we see four different things mentioned. And each time, it's to uh, reveal a particular truth. Uh, Last week, we looked at four things that are insatiable, things that cannot be satisfied. And, And then when we got to verse 17, we saw how... You know, all of those things tied together, I believe, with, uh, with what's taught in that verse. And so, uh, so all of these things are connected in some way. But basically, basically uh, each section of four things makes one, one very important thought. Now, when we come to this section tonight, uh, this, this is a section that nature lovers can really identify with. Uh, I was sitting on the back porch this morning and uh, we finally got some hummingbirds coming in. I never thought I'd get so old I'd enjoy sitting and watching hummingbirds, but for whatever reason, ever since the flood, we've not been able to get hummingbirds to come back. I've got three hummingbird feeders hanging right out there on the back, off the back patio there, and nothing till here the last few weeks, but. Man, we've got a bunch of them now coming around and uh, just watching them and how one of them will get his area and he will guard that hummingbird feeder. I mean, he'll sit over there in that little basket of flyers just watching it, you know, and here'll come two or three hummingbirds in. Man, he'll run them all off and get on there and he's got it all to himself. Well, I haven't lost track of what I'm talking about. I'm talking about nature and um Nature can be more important than what we think it is. Uh, uh, several years ago, uh, for some reason, uh, Romans 1, verse number 20, just really impacted me. It, it talks there about the invisible things, how they bear testimony and teach us, of the, or, or we learn the invisible things by the visible. In other words, by what we see. And all of nature, you know, if we had the wisdom to understand it, we'd know that all of nature is a teaching tool for God. You can look at any part of nature and that's God's means of communicating with us truths that are invisible, things that cannot be seen. So we understand the invisible by the things that we, that we can see. And maybe you're thinking to yourself, yeah, but, How effective can that be? Well, think about this. It's so effective, God said, of those who reject him, that because because the visible teaches about the invisible, they are without excuse. That is to say that if we pursue the light that we've got, god will give us more light i believe that with all of my heart a lot of times people wonder about somebody way over there in some other country you know and they oh they never got a chance to hear the gospel and and so forth And, and and they talk about that like how unfair it would be for god to send them to hell because nobody ever took them to the gospel you know well if they pursue the light the light that God gives some way or another. I just believe that God's going to give them more light. But enough of that. We're talking about nature and our world is filled with wonders of things that provide us with, with helpful information. And that's what this is all about. Notice verse number 18. He says, There be three things which are too wonderful for me. Yea, four which I know not. That word wonderful means marvelous or it means extraordinary. And he's talking about four things here that are wondrous in the sense that they are beyond our understanding. And he's going to use these four things to illustrate the way of sinful man. And so then in verse 9, he proceeds, he says, and he's going to mention the four things of which he speaks the way of an eagle in the air, the way of a serpent upon a rock, and the way of a ship in the midst of the sea, and the way of a man with a maid. Now whenever you first read this, somebody's probably scratching their head wondering, what in the world is this all about? Good, you got the point. The point is there are things beyond our ability to comprehend or explain. And that's what he's talking about here. And it's no wonder he calls these things wonderful because the very thought of these things make us uh, see our need of wisdom. Because all of a sudden, you know, we can look out and just look at nature and realize all of a sudden that we serve a God that is far beyond our comprehension. And in verse number 20 that we'll get to later... Uh there it, it it shows how all of these is going to relate to the subject of sin. So now let's look at these four things. Verse nineteen. He speaks about the way of the eagle in the air. The way of the eagle in the air, boy, that is a glorious mystery to think about. An eagle just—it's just floating and guiding on the thermal updrafts, and uh, it soars and it circles, and majestic, and uh, there's hardly a, a, a movement. Uh, Someone just happened to post on Facebook, I I, I don't think it was an eagle, I think it was a hawk probably, maybe somebody else saw it, literally it put a camera on this bird, and uh, anybody see that? Well, well, Tim did. Uh, Anyway, it was going over these cliffs out at the edge of the, I think the edge of the ocean, and, and it it was just amazing to get that actual bird's eye view of, of how everything looked and You think about this big old eagle with a seven foot wingspan and it's just like floating up there, you know and uh and then it'll dive down to earth to catch its unsuspecting prey and you know a little bitty mouse out in the middle of a field and uh, It just, what God did in designing the eagle is absolutely amazing, and and I've been amazed because, of course, being raised in the Ozarks and spending so much time on the lakes there—Lake Tanicomo and Table Rock Lake and Lake Bull Shows and Beaver Lake and all of those lakes there—and there are a lot of eagles. Of course, there's some eagles down here, and uh it's just amazing just to watch those things and they, and they can catch their prey actually in the air, on land, in the water. And they tell me that in doing so, as they dive, they can exceed a hundred mile an hour. That that doesn't seem possible, but that, that that's what I'm told. But uh, it's amazing. And then, and then in describing the the courtship of the eagles, the male and the female way up there in the air will lock their talons together, and then they will just tumble down through the air toward the earth, just cart, One cartwheel after another, and their wings outstretched, and 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 that, that's that's what the writer is saying as he's thinking about all of these things as he has observed the eagles. He said, "The way of the eagle in the air, I I I, I just can't understand that, and uh, who can? Uh, you know, I was thinking about those little hummingbirds this morning, and." I can't get over how a little bird like that can flap its wings that fast that many times and then just just shoot off like a rocket. And it, it's something God designed. So the writer says, hey, this is too wonderful for me. It's too beyond my understanding to think about the eagle in the air. Well, now he's looking up at the eagle, but now he's going to look down at the serpent and look down to the ground. And notice he says, the way of a serpent upon a rock. And the serpent, you know, is a strange critter. It doesn't have any arms, doesn't have any legs, doesn't have any hands, doesn't have any feet. And it just slithers along at great speed and you know, you would expect that if it's on sand or, or soil or something. But notice he intentionally mentions the, the way of the serpent on the rocks, a smooth rock. This is a slippery surface which doesn't really give it anything for leverage. And so he's sitting there watching this snake and wondering how does it how does it do that? And oh, I you know I, I I know we can we can. Tr- get too philosophical in regards to things like that and we can even demand a scientific explanation you know well it moves this way and a part of it you, you know go through all of that get a explanation and we can lose the wonder of it but he hey this 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 is some guy sitting there watching a snake on a rock and he's saying wow how does it do that? it go so fast and has nothing to leverage itself and it's just gliding over the rocks and in doing so, and I want you to listen to this because this is going to become an important point later. In doing so, it leaves no sign that it was ever there. You know, it's there one minute. It slithers along the rock. It's gone. There's no sign that it was there. It's doing what God designed it to do. And he said, the thought of that is too wonderful for me. Well, number three. He says also, he says, a ship in the midst of the sea. Now, you've got to remember here, he's talking about, you're not talking about the kind of cruise ship that you all go on. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about ships in the ancient times. These are vessels without a a motor, without a propeller. It's a sailing vessel, and it's moved by what? The invisible wind. I mean, you you don't see the wind coming. Uh, You see the effects of it, but you don't see the wind coming. And here you've got that ship out there on the water and it, you know, it lifts the sail. The sail catches the wind and, and it, it moves. And and as it moves, it creates a path or what we would call a wake. And that wake then just closes up and there's no trace of it whatsoever you you see it coming and you watch it and there it goes and you see the wake behind it and it goes over the horizon and the wake just disappears you see and it it's just such a, a wonderful thing to look at i mean you you can just get that picture in your mind it's so relaxing in fact you know the ships have inspired many poems and many songs and uh just by people, you know, that want to sit on the dock of the bay and watch the ships come in or whatever. And so he says here, it just amazes me to think about, you know, the eagle up there in the air and the serpent down on the rock. And then to think about the ship out there in the sea. All of those things just amaze me. That's the point. Now he's got one more, one more thing that he's going to mention here. He says, and the way of a man with a maid. Now, this word maid is the Hebrew word ama that means virgin. And, and whenever you consider the context, and we'll see that when we get to the next verse here in a minute, whenever we look at the context, it's actually a picture here of seduction. And, uh, it, and, and at this stage, it's not necessarily speaking about anything that is, is sinful. Uh, although it can become that, as as you're going to see. But it's talking about the clever means employed, uh, you know, by a man to charm and to, uh, you know, entice, seduce a woman. Uh, We talked about the courtship of the, you know, the eagles, and now we're talking about guys and gals here. And so the point is by word or deed, you know, he wants to do something or say something, to get her attention. you know. <laughs> teenagers, sometimes we look around and we see the crazy antics of teenagers today. We think, how nutty is that? Get a new pair of jeans, for example, and cut holes in them. Have you lost your mind? Why would you do something like that? Well, you know, back when I was uh, growing up, we had our hang-ups, you know. We, uh, uh, we, we had to comb our hair a certain way. And you had to have your shoes shined and a uh, black leather jacket with an eagle on the back or, you know, whatever it was. And then when you found that girl, you know, remember Elvis had that song, Won't You Wear My Ring uh, Around Your Neck? And uh, uh, I can remember in junior high, it was a fad back there, that, that if a girl was going with a boy, she wore a dog collar. I'm telling you the truth. Did anybody ever do that anywhere else besides, <laughs> besides Missouri? They you see a girl with a dog collar, you better leave her alone because somebody, somebody already claimed her. But by the time that uh, by the time that we started going steady, it was a ring around the neck, you see. And uh, boy, I can... Uh, I think, especially my senior year, I don't think I attended one uh, sixth or fifth-hour class all year because I got out early, drove across town to pick up Bev and to make sure my shoes were shined. And I mean, they it spit-shined my shoes. Everything had to be spotless because in just a little while, Bev was going to come walking out across that parking lot and get in the car. And everything had to be... be what, you said, why would you do all of that? I wanted to impress her, you see. And, and that's what we're talking about here, the way of a man with a with a maid here. And uh, naturally, you know, whenever it comes to boy girl kind of stuff, why, uh, uh, the guys and the gals, it's something the way God designed us, something that was just not quite satisfied with just being friends. You know, there's just something within us, you know, that has creates a desire for the opposite sex. If that wasn't true, there'd still be only two people on the earth. (laughs) But God put something in man that created an attraction for the opposite sex. And let me tell you, this is where everything can go awry. Because as good as that is in one sense, it can become very bad because sexual attraction is a powerful force. That chemistry between a man and a woman, and and, and boy, this is a lesson that every girl especially needs to learn that whenever a boy tries to persuade you to have sex outside of marriage by saying something like, Oh, I love you, there's nobody else on earth but you, you know, you're the only one that I'll ever love. What he really means is, I want to use you to feed my lust. That's all he means. Because he doesn't love you, or he wouldn't ask you to do something that is a sin against God. If he really cared about you, now, I realize that, you know, that when we're talking about unsaved people, that's a whole different thing. But we're talking about Christian people, and uh, and uh, certainly no fine Christian young man would uh, suggest that to a girl. Usually, you know, we think about all of this in terms of the teenagers for some reason. Well, I guess, you know, that that's a legitimate Thing because, after all, it's during those teenage years that we can have such bad problems in this area. But let me tell you, this is something that happens any, at any age. Over the years, I, and I can remember time and time again, and it seems like some way that the news always gets out when you hear about some preacher that has fallen into a sexual sin... And uh, I, I, I absolutely cannot describe for you the pain and the and the harm that does to the cause of Christ, and and it happens over and over again. And I even if I'm with a bunch of preachers, it's a subject that I don't want to talk about. I don't want to discuss. And when I say that. I mean, I don't want to discuss it in the sense that, oh, did you hear, brother, so-and-so, o, S, Church? Did, you, did you hear what they did? You know, no, I didn't hear. I really don't want to hear. Unless I can do something to help them, I really don't want to hear about it because there's nothing I can do about it. So I, I, I mention all of this, to let you know that teenagers aren't the only ones that have this, this, this problem. Uh, what about all of the catfish stories? How, how about that? I mean, especially this day of modern technology with all of the computers and people. I I can't believe what some people do online, get online talking to people that they've never met before and then claiming they're in love with them, in love with them to the extent that they literally send them their life savings because of a promise that, well, you know, as soon as I can get back in the States, we're going to get married. This is somebody they've never met before. People get so desperate to get what they want that they'll lose everything they've got trying to get it. And it happens over and over and over again. It, 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 it's just amazing to me, but it just shows how strong that desire can be. and by the way it's not only the senior citizens that's getting caught up in that it can happen at any age and it's not only it's not only a matter of high-tech seduction it's also something that even is more common and been around more years is that of uh, in the workplace one of the biggest curses on our nation. Now listen, don't someone go away here misunderstanding what I'm saying. I understand that there are women that have to work Thank God for those who work because they have to work. They have to support their children. A lot of single parent mothers and what have you, my hat's off to them. They've got it rough. And I thank God for those that are willing to make whatever sacrifice to take care of their children. So I'm not totally condemning women working under certain circumstances. But but I'm telling you, the ideal, the ideal is for the husband to be the breadwinner, the woman, the keeper at home, which is what the Bible says. And whenever the women went off into the workplace, all of a sudden, all of a sudden, I, look, when I was growing up, some of you can say the same thing. When I was growing up, I do not know, I do not know, Of anybody that I can remember, any of my friends whose parents ever divorced. Not one case. Not one. And boy, you look around today and it's like, what in the world has happened? I I mean, a young couple gets married today and I'm telling you, it takes a miracle for them to make it 10 or 20 years. It really does. It's just that difficult. And, and a big part of the problem is, you know, that I was talking a while ago about, you know, my antics and getting ready for Bev to get out of school and, and trying to look good for her and uh, so forth. and But, uh, you know, after a while, they see you like you really are when you get up in the morning, you know, and you haven't combed your hair. You know, the duck tail is gone and the hair is down and, you know, and you quit shining your shoes you know and uh, and and you forgot where the deodorant is and stuff like that and so after a while they see you you know as you really are That makes it real easy for the guy at the workplace whenever the whenever the woman comes in and all of a sudden boy he turns on the charm you know and her first thought is boy I'm not Nobody else is telling me that and 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 all of a sudden all of a sudden you have an affair and a broken home and and it's usually the poor little kids that end up suffering as a result of all of it you see now th- 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 I, we're still on target here we're talking about the ways of a of a man with a with with a maid and and you can expand that to you know whether the woman is married or not or whatever but and the ways of a man, let me tell you, men, men can really be sneaky sometimes. And, and I'm, I could tell you of instances that you, you probably wouldn't even believe where some of this stuff takes place. Men sometimes will say certain things to women that is suggestive phrases But they will word it in such a way that it can be taken in two different ways. And it's flirtatious, but if he's called on the carpet about it, if all of a sudden she bows up, you know, and she lets him know, I don't appreciate that. Oh, oh, no, you took that wrong. That's not what I meant. It's exactly what he meant. But he was just hoping he wouldn't get caught. He was hoping you would respond to it, you see. And so it might be, you know, it might be through that seductive suggestion or fair speech, you know, uh, I love you, I promise you, uh, you know, just trying to feed his lust. Now, look at verse 20, because here's the application. And we would be remiss if we didn't look at the context here. All, All of the things we've talked about, if we didn't look at this, we would miss the point. Such is the way of an adulterous woman she eateth, satisfies her desires, and wipeth her mouth, and saith, I've done no wickedness. Well, men aren't the only ones that lie. (laughs) We've been talking about the men, hey, here's here's a woman he's talking about, an adulterous woman, and And so he turns our attention to the woman who's an adulteress. And notice, this woman has just committed one of the most hideous sins on earth. If you don't believe that, just go back and read what the Old Testament law had to say about it. And so it's one of the most hideous sins. And then she pretends like she hasn't done anything wrong. Just as, you know, a person sits down to eat. And uh, all of my life, since I was a boy, certain things I've carried. I'm never without. I've always got a pencil, always. Anywhere I go, I've got a pen or a pencil. I've always got a knife. I've always got a comb. And I've always got a hanky. Always. And, uh, you know, whenever whenever you're eating, you, you know, you get get some food on you, you know. If you don't have a napkin, use your hanky, Whatever. And uh, why do you do that? You get rid of the trace of whatever you eat, you know. Uh, and notice what it says. After she has fulfilled her lust, it's like she wipes her mouth to remove the evidence of her sin. Now remember, this is the ultimate act of betrayal. Betrayal. And she denies that she has done anything wrong. In other words, she's covering her tracks. She's pretending that everything is well, and she's deceiving her husband and everybody else who might think she is a faithful, happy, loving wife, and she thinks as long as as long as long my sin is in secret, it doesn't matter. As long as nobody catches me, it doesn't matter. I can get by with it. Well, let me tell you, it matters to God. And we can't hide anything from God because He knows everything about us. I told him a while ago, he was talking about something, oh, the, the condi- condition of the world, and we had a particular thing in mind that we were discussing and I said, you know, I'm going to make a reference to some of that uh, in the message tonight. And I couldn't make up my mind whether I wanted to say this before the lesson or at the end of the lesson. And 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 I think this is the best possible spot for it, having just talked about this adulterous woman, who who does whatever she's got to do to hide the evidence of of her sin. It just reminds me of the world that we live in today where sin is glamorized. I was going to go about, I'm, n- n- none of my friends, their parents wasn't divorced, uh, not that I knew of anyway. And and it's so amazing how things have changed, and not only in that regard, but just in the way that people look at what the Bible clearly denounces at sin. And you know, it's real easy for us, to, for example, to look at Hollywood or we look at the entertainment industry, you know, and, and we can put all the blame on them. How about that? Let's just blame them. Because after all, look, look what they're promoting, you see. You know what they're doing? They're giving people what they want, they're selling a product, you see. And, and and they wouldn't make any money if they gave the people what they didn't want. So we look at Hollywood and the entertainment industry, you know, and we condemn them as well we should. Because believe me, by their own admission, they have an agenda in what they're doing. Whether it's Hollywood, the liberal press, or whatever, they have an agenda. They know exactly what they're doing, and they just keep doing it over and over. But for them, it's, it's, it, it's a product. And, uh, and sadly, sadly a, a lot of folks just uh, either don't see it, or whatever it is, but the desires of their heart for that product is so great. They keep buying into it. You know, whenever I, this afternoon or this morning, whenever I was thinking about the message, he's talking about all of these wonderful things in creation. You know, the first thought for some weird reason coming to my mind was Louis Armstrong singing, What a Wonderful World. Let me tell you, the world is wonderful in the sense of nature that God created. But let me tell you, As a system, the world is anything but wonderful. It is wicked because sinful man has turned the world upside down. And uh, we can't change it. I mean, as Christians... We can't change the world. You can't control the world. You can't, you're not going to change it across the board or anything. But I'll tell you what we can do. We can stop supporting it. We don't have to do those things that we know plays into the hands of those that are promoting this kind of stuff. And uh, for some reason, we're just so enthralled by the, by the world that we, it's like we can't deny ourselves you know you hear people all the time saying oh, i'm going to i'm going to quit this or i'm going to quit that or whatever well we we'll, I'm never going to buy that again no not till they have a really good sale you won't then you'll be right back doing it again you see and uh, the point is that we dare not condone what god condemns I'm not saying you got to get a soapbox and go out here and get on a street corner and stand up and rant and rave about every injustice that you see. That's not what I'm saying. But whenever here's what happens. Whenever we have an attitude of indifference towards sin as Christians, when that happens, the world feels justified in saying just what this woman did. I've done no wickedness. That, that's the way they feel about, you know, the things that they do, the sins they commit. In their mind, what's wrong with that? You know, everybody's doing it. Uh, what could be wrong with that? And of course, you drag the Bible into the discussion and they'll let you know that's not what they go by, you know, but uh, they've got their own ideas. We can't control the world. We can't change the world. Listen, and I'm through... What we can do is what Christians in the past has done and that is we can be we can be the conscience of a society. You look back on the history of America, for example, and sometimes we think about all of, our, all of our forefathers all being really dedicated Christians, and man, they must have been independent fundamental Baptists. I mean, they must have believed exactly like we do. Let me tell you, that was some of the most mixed up bunch you ever saw in your life. Certainly there were a lot of really good Christians, absolutely, to the point that our nation was founded upon Christian principles. But we can't in any wise say the majority of all of those early settlers, that the majority of them were Christians. Not Christians in the truest sense of the word, but I'll tell you what. The Christian community was the conscience of that society back then. And by that I mean this, that even those who, even those who indulged in sin would have to admit, you know, the Christian, the Christian way is really the right way to go. I'm just not going that way. But that, you know, they're, they're really right. At least there was respect for them. And and that's what we've lost today. And God forbid that... And look, we don't have to be mean about it. You know, we fundamental Baptists have kind of got a bad reputation and a lot of it's our own thought. And by that I mean, you know, we think that we can't condemn sin and and still love people. The Bible says we're to speak the truth in love. And boy, there's been so many times in the past. Some of those old rugged two-fisted fundamentalists. You, I'm telling you what, they just took delight in torturing people, embarrassing people, and hurting people in denouncing sin. And I'm going to tell you that's not going to win people over. We can stand for the truth and do it in a way that expresses a love for them. I think that's what Jesus did, don't you? So may God help us. Well, Lord willing, next week next week we're going to look at four more things. And uh, we're going to talk about four things that are intolerable next week. Four things that are intolerable. So I hope you'll join with us. Anyone have a word, a comment, uh, anything before we leave? Something maybe we forgot about or didn't know about? Good to see this many here tonight, knowing that a is going on, and all of those folks over there, and to still have uh, still have a pretty good crowd here tonight. I appreciate your faithfulness and being here. All right, let's stand. Tim, lead us.